How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. We pray now as we turn, Heavenly Father, to that excellent word that you have laid out before us. We pray that we would understand it better, that we'd be more thrilled than ever because of the gospel, that we'd believe it more than we ever did before, and that we'd go from here living it to your praise and glory. Amen. You know, no one can live without hope. When there's uh, nothing to look forward to, when the future is not bright, when all that lies ahead is a black abyss of hopelessness, then people shrivel up. You may have seen it. I I met a man like that, a man who had no hope for the future. I was visiting a member of the congregation that I was involved in at the time. Uh, She lived in a care home. And as I left her, I saw a man sitting in the corridor, another resident of the home, and I passed the time of day with him. How are you today, sir, I said. I just want to die, he replied. Now, I presumed he was just having a really bad day, but it turned out that his only desire every day was to die. As I spoke to him, he told me that he hadn't seen his family for years. They never visited him. He never left the care home. He stared at the same four walls every day. All his friends had died, and he was in pain with crippling arthritis. I just want to die, he said. I sat down next to him and I I spoke to him about the Christian hope of heaven. I don't believe in that bloody rubbish, he snapped at me. He was a man without hope. There was not anything for him to look forward to in life. And he was not going to get better and he knew it. So he just wanted to die. See, we cannot live without hope. And that's why even when things look very bleak, very few people view life the way that man did. Even in our darkest moments, we'll hang on to a glimmer of hope or create false hopes. It's difficult to face up to the fact that there is no hope at all. And yet that astonishingly is what many in Israel were saying in Ezekiel's day. Things had reached such a low ebb. Look at chapter 37 and verse 11 and hear how the Israelites assess their situation. Halfway through verse 11, do you see it there? They said, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. And look, these were not the words of a, a pessimistic old codger who just never looked on the bright side of life. Their assessment was bang on. Do you remember the situation? Israel was under the judgment of God. Jerusalem had fallen. That once great city was now just a pile of rubble. The judgment of God had come upon the people of God. They were right. Their hope was gone. For if God is against us, what hope is there for us? And that is exactly the situation our world finds itself in. You see, as we studied this book over these last weeks, we've seen again and again how the Israelites' situation mirrors the state of our world today. The book of Romans in chapter 1 tells us the world is under the judgment of God. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 verse 18 these words. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. See the world is under the judgment of God because we live in a world that refuses to acknowledge that the sovereign Lord Almighty created the world. We refuse to acknowledge that we live in his world. Now, don't you see that all the time? When I speak to my unbelieving friends, they don't see what relevance God has to their lives at all. Do you find that when you speak to unbelievers? 
What relevance has he got to my life? Yet he is the creator of all things. He gives them every breath they take. He keeps their heart ticking. Every good thing they enjoy in life, food, friends, family, fun, everything comes from him. Yet they cannot see what relevance he has in their lives. Our world refuses to believe that the Sovereign Lord Almighty is the Creator. They think he is an irrelevance to life. That is why the world is under the judgment of God. And so we live in a world that has rejected the one true living God and has turned to other gods to satisfy them. That's what Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 1. Well, again, you know that. Oh, actually, you know it in your own life, but you certainly know it in the life of your unbelieving friends if you speak to them. My unbelieving friends look for the meaning of life and satisfaction in life in all sorts of things except the living God, in their career or in their leisure activities. That is where that they will find happiness in life or in their family or in their property or in their holidays or, well, you fill in the gaps. And as I speak to them, it seems they, they will not consider that Jesus Christ is the meaning of life. They're not really, they haven't really found the meaning of life. There's an article in the Times today about the meaning of life. People haven't really found the meaning of life. They just have to conclude there is no meaning. Or they look for it somewhere else. And yet there is Jesus, the creator of the world. They won't even consider him. No wonder they are under the, the judgment of God. And as we've rejected the, the, the Lord who made us and the one who gives us meaning, that is why our world is in such a mess. But of course, despite all the evidence that the world is under the judgment of God, look, you just have to read your newspapers to see the world is a mess. Despite all the evidence, our world refuses to believe it. See, tell people today that they're under the judgment of God and they'll think you're a sandwich short of a picnic, won't they? And so what do people do? They look at this broken world and they look at their unfulfilled lives and they dream dreams of a better world. They create other hopes because we can't live without hope. That's what people do in hopeless situations. We hold on to hopeless hopes because we have to have some hope. Well, you've seen it again, haven't you, in all sorts of ways, how people will grab hold of something that is never going to happen. Those who've been jilted in love hope that their loved one will come back to them. Those facing bankruptcy hope they'll win the lottery. Those who are terminally, terminally ill hope for a cure to be found or a miracle to happen. When all hope is gone, we grasp at straws because we cannot live without hope. And it's the same when we look at the bigger issues in our tottering world as we face global terrorism, global warming and global poverty. We believe that if we declare a war on terror and act against climate change and campaign to alleviate poverty, then our world will be sorted. But that is to cling to hopeless hopes. For the problem of the world is so much bigger. If you think those are big problems, and they are, this passage tells us the problem of our world is bigger. Our world is under the judgment of God. And nothing we can do can redeem such a hopeless situation. 
And you see here in Ezekiel chapter 37, we are given a vivid picture of just how desperate it is to be under the judgment of God. And therefore we've given a picture of just how desperate is the state of our world. Well, if you're taking notes, here's the first point. The diagnosis, dead. Verses 1 and 2. Look at verse 1. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. This was the most horrific vision and the most horrible experience for Ezekiel. Ezekiel had some terrible visions. He had some terrible experiences. But I reckon this one was right up there as one of the worst, if not the worst. The Lord took him to a valley, a huge valley of bones. Oh, if you're a dog, it's heaven. But for Ezekiel and for mankind, it is horrible. Look at verse 2. He led me to and fro from among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. It is a sickening vision. Ezekiel found himself dumped in what can only be described as killing fields, a valley full of bones. He was surrounded by thousands and thousands of human skeletons, just like this, thousands of them, all over the place, dead bones. Do you want a hand? (laughs) So I've been using that all week. It's not something to laugh at, really. In this valley, there was not even a glimmer of hope, not a glimmer of life. It's the end of verse 2. These bones were very dry. The vultures had stripped them bare. The sun had scorched them white. Ezekiel was in a valley full of parched, crumbling bones with not a hint of life. It was a terrible vision. And made all the worse when the Lord told Ezekiel what it meant. Look at verse 11 again. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone, we're cut off. Under the judgment of God, Israel was dead. Oh, they walked around, they got on with their life, they got up and ate breakfast and went to work in the morning, they came home at night and ate their tea and settled down to watch the television, they had their hobbies and enjoyed their leisure activities, they looked forward to their holidays, but they were dead. Spiritual corpses. See, the diagnosis, dead. But when you read more carefully, you'll see it's even worse than that. They were under a curse. And the Israelites knew it. Halfway through verse 11, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Cut off from the living God. See, that is what is so shocking about this valley. In this valley, these bones were left unburied. These human moraines were once living human beings. Yet here they lie, thousands of men and women, and none of them had had the dignity of a proper burial. Once again this week, we... There he goes. Sorry about that. Sorry, sorry, David, this is David Stanley. Well, it's not actually David Stanley's. He's, <laughs> he's still got his, but, you know. Anyway, belongs to him. I'll, um, I'll try and patch it up later, though. 
it's meant to be a serious illustration. Uh, And look, seriously, once again this week, we've been shocked by the news, haven't we? I mean, the the, the news doesn't cease to shock me. I ought to be not surprised by it anymore. The, The story of the grisly past of the children's home in Jersey. Human remains found, a chamber of terror unearthed, the the horror stories of survivors being sustained by hard evidence. It doesn't bear thinking about the cruelty and abuse that some suffered, does it? The vulnerable and defenceless children at the hands of monsters. And when a child's remains are discovered, well, I don't know whether it's just because I'm a dad, you think about the last moments of their life, And then you think they didn't even get a proper burial. There's something about the dignity of a proper burial, isn't there? Well, look, in this valley, in the valley of death that Ezekiel was taken to, none of the thousands of souls that perished there had been given that most basic human right. It's humiliating, but actually it's worse than that in biblical terms. You see, keep your finger in Ezekiel 37 and come back with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28. And this tells us really what's going on in that valley. Page 206 is the page number. You see, when you arrive in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and page 206, as you read it when you're at home, you'll realise it's a chapter of blessings and curse Blessings that will come upon the people of God if they are obedient to God, if they follow the Lord, and the curse of God for disobedience. Now look, listen to the curse of disobeying God and see how it fits with Ezekiel 37. Chapter 28 and verse 25. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. That's what had happened, you see. We've seen that again and again, haven't we? That's what had happened to to Israel. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come at them from one direction but flee from them in seven and you'll become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms on the earth. Listen. Your carcasses will be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and there will be no one to frighten them away. Unburied bodies left as pickings for the birds. It's a horrible horrible picture and it is a mark of God's curse cut off from God see it's a gruesome and vivid picture it was a picture of Israel and it's how the Bible describes everyone who is without Christ did you hear when we read Ephesians chapter 2 dead in our trespasses and sins and later on in the chapter without hope and without God in the world that's what this vision is about And you see, when we get it, when we really get it, it shows us how our attempts to make the world a better place are completely pointless. It shows how all our hopes are hopeless hopes. For if God is against us, what hope is there for us? The diagnosis then, dead in our trespasses and sins. The remedy? Proclaim the word of God, verses 3 to 10. See, how can our world be sorted out if we are really under the judgment of God? If if these bones represent what we really are like as we stand before the living God? If we're under God's curse, if we're spiritually dead, what hope is there? 
Well, the remarkable thing is that there's a remedy at all. Look at verse 3. The Lord asked me, can these bones live? (laughs) It seems such a ridiculous question. Ezekiel, Ezekiel, is there much hope for what you're looking at? Ezekiel, can you stand in this valley and think positively about the future? Son of man, can these bones live? I love Ezekiel's response. I I, I love first what he does not say. See, son of man, can these bones live? He doesn't say, well, yes, you know, if if we can win the war on terror and eradicate global terrorism, maybe they can. Son of man, can these bones live? I don't see why not. If we all do our bit of recycling and and watch our carbon footprint and and, and get the major industrial nations of the world to cut greenhouse emissions, then... Son of man, can these bones live? You know, I think there's a hope for the world if we all bought fair trade products and ran the Sport Relief Mile and campaigned along with Bono and Bob Geldof to get the governments of this world to cancel third world debt and implement a system of wealth distribution. He doesn't say any of that, does he? Faced with a valley of dry bones, Ezekiel doesn't make any attempt to find a solution to the problems of the world. Now, please don't mishear me. Of course we must act against poverty and terrorism and climate change. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but please hear this. As we stand with Ezekiel in the valley of dry bones, can we see that that trying to sort out those things is like... Well, it's like putting a plaster, a sticky plaster on a skeleton. It isn't going to sort it out, is it? In a world that is spiritually dead and under God's curse, we can do nothing to sort it out. We cannot deal with the judgment of God. And that's why Ezekiel responds as he does. Verse 3, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. I love that answer. Ezekiel knows who he's talking to. He's talking to the sovereign Lord. Lord, only you can bring life to the dead. Lord, only you know if these bones can live. Lord, it's all down to you. And so the Lord said to Ezekiel, verse 4, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I'm the Lord. Can these bones live? Yes, they can. Yes, they can, should the Sovereign Lord choose to bring them to life. Can these bones live? Yes, they can, should the sovereign creator put his life-giving breath into them. Can there be a future in the valley of death? Yes, yes there can. But only, only if the word of God comes to these bones. See, that's the remedy, the word of God. The remedy for a world under the judgment of God is to preach God's word. Does it sound pathetic? But look, you and I can't bring life to men and women under the curse of God and dead in their trespasses and sins. You know that if you've ever tried to persuade someone to become a Christian. Have you ever done that? Of course you have. Loads, hundreds of you here have tried to persuade your friends, your colleagues, your family. You've tried to persuade them to become Christians and you can't do it, can you? And I can't do it. I can't demolish human arguments. 
I can't break through objections and philosophical arguments. I can't persuade people that they are hurtling towards a hell-bound eternity. I can't do that. I can't bring dead sinners to life any more than I can bring a dead body back to life. I can't, but the Sovereign Lord can. He brings life to dead bones. That's the promise here. Ezekiel verse 4, prophesy to these bones. Ezekiel verse 4, say to them, hear the word of the Lord. Ezekiel, speak to dry bones, disintegrating bones. Speak to them and they'll live. Now I don't know what is more astonishing, that the Lord can do this, that the Lord could take these and make them live, or that Ezekiel actually believed him. 4 verse 7, he did prophesy to the bones. Now look, can you imagine being in Ezekiel's shoes? Sure, he was on his own in this valley of death, but, but still, can you imagine what a Charlie he felt as he was standing in the middle of bones, thousands of bones, and he began to speak to them to tell them to get up? Let me try it now. Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Do you think I've lost it? Even if no one was here, I mean, I felt a bit stupid doing that. Even if no one was here, I'd feel really stupid talking to a skeleton. And that is actually how it feels, preaching and proclaiming the word of God sometimes. Not to you lot, you understand, I'm not likening you to that. Just when you speak to your unbelieving friends, it seems so insignificant to talk about the Bible to them. That's what Paul said. In 1 Corinthians, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. He said this, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Don't you feel that? Of course you do. You're speaking to your friends about Jesus and sometimes you feel stupid. I was speaking to a group of friends recently about the gospel. They're polite and nice guys. I like them very much. And because they're polite and they're nice people, they weren't rude to me. But I got this distinct impression that they thought I was just a bit gaga. I mean, they know I'm the vicar, but they still thought that... When they actually told them what I believed, they thought I'd just lost it. And never mind how other people feel. Don't you feel like that sometimes? How often when you look at the world and when you look at your unbelieving friends, do you think... Preaching the word of God, will that really make a difference? Do you feel that? Of course you do. Is that all I can do? Ezekiel must have felt such a prized idiot in the middle of this valley talking to dead bones. But listen, Ezekiel did it. He prophesied to the bones, verse 7. And as he was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. He says, I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. It's magnificent, isn't it? All he did was proclaim the word of God and the bones came together and 
The Lord put tendons of flesh on the bones and skin to cover them and he breathed his life-giving spirit upon them and they came to life and stood up on their feet. A vast army. Can these bones live? Yes, they can. Is there hope for our world? Yes, there is. But there is only one hope and it is found in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only the living God can bring life to a dead world. Only he can remove the curse and defeat death. Can these bones live? Yes. Christian, you've seen it in your own life, haven't you? I will never forget the day when I heard the word of God for the first time. Oh, I'm sure I'd heard it before, but I hadn't actually heard it. I heard it for the first time and it transformed my life changed everything. The way I think, the way I feel, my attitude towards things, everything. You've seen it in your life. I've seen it happen in the lives of others too. And maybe you have too. People completely transformed by the word of God. Yes, it seems so weak sometimes and yet when you see it at work it is so powerful. I've seen it happen here in recent months not just once or twice, several times. People who weren't the bit slightest, slightest bit interested in the things of God now reading their Bibles, passionate to know more, they can't get enough of it, telling their friends, inviting their friends to evangelistic events, praying. How stupid is that before you're a Christian, talking to yourself in your room? And I've seen those same people with their lives, their attitudes changed and transformed. We've seen it in history. I think of the Welsh Revival of 1904. See, I've got some Welsh blood in me. Do you know about the Welsh Revival? Have you ever heard of Evan Roberts? Evan Roberts, he began to preach the gospel. He began to preach what was basically a fourfold message. This was his message. Confess all known sin. Deal with and get rid of anything doubtful in your life. Be ready to obey the Holy Spirit instantly and confess Christ publicly. That's what he preached. He started to preach it one week and by the end of the first week of preaching, over 60 people had responded. By the end of the second week, Roberts had already started a whirlwind tour of South Wales with a team of five girl singers and within a year or so, 100,000 converts were said to be added to the church in Wales. All he did was preach. A hundred thousand converted. The crime rate dropped. Drunkards were reformed. Pubs reported losses in trade. Bad language disappeared and never returned to the lips of many. It was reported that the pit ponies failed to understand their born-again colliers who seemed to speak the new language of Zion and they didn't curse and blaspheme anymore. So, so the pit ponies didn't know what to do because they'd already always heard the commands with you know, a, an F here and a blinding there. And the story is told that crime was so dramatically cut in the Welsh police force that the Welsh police force had no work to do and so you know what they did? They formed a male voice choir and they sang in the valleys. <laughs> can dead bones live? Oh yes they can. When the gospel is preached and the Holy Spirit is at work. The diagnosis, dead in our trespasses and sins. The remedy, proclaim the word of God. And the prognosis, eternal life. See verse 11? 
He said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We're cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. O my people, I'm going to open up your graves and bring you up from them. I'll bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Do you see uh, one promise that comes twice in these verses? End of verse 12, I will bring you back to the land of Israel. And halfway through verse 14, I will settle you in your land. Remember, Israel had been sent into exile all over the world, scattered as judgment upon them. That was the, the curse of the exile coming upon them. And now here is the curse being reversed. The promise to bring them back into their land, no longer under the curse of God. What does it mean for us? Well, whenever we think of the promised land, we should think of eternity, of the heavenly Jerusalem of the new heavens and the new earth. That's the promise here. It's a promise of a new creation. The place that we have been cut off from without Christ. The place that the curse means that all we are facing is a place of death and destruction. But when the curse is removed, well then we can look forward to that eternity. Not simply is God going to patch up this crumbling decaying, tottering world. His promises of a new world order where there is no more death or mourning or crying or pain. This is the promise of eternal life. And why should we trust this promise? Well, let me take you to another place where death seemed triumphant. To the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ where Jesus, under the curse of God, cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God forsaken And let me remind you that after the cross came the empty tomb. That dead body was raised to life. That's why we have hope. For if the spirit of him who raised Jesus is living in you, then he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will give life to your dying body through his spirit that is in you. Christian, listen to these great promises again. Verse 12. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. O my people, I am going to open up your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. Then you'll know that I am the Lord. Oh, you bet we will. Think of the day when you will be raised out of your grave then you'll know that the Lord is the Lord Almighty. What a moment that will be. Friends, do you see what this vision tells us? It tells us that dry, rotting bones have no greater need than the life-giving breath of the Gospel Word. It tells us there is only one hope for a world under the judgment of God. And that is that they hear the Word of God. It tells us that proclaiming the word of God is the most powerful thing that you and I can do. This vision tells us that the word of God, the word of the gospel, must be our hope and the hope for the world. 
And you see, we will not proclaim it if it is not our hope. But we must proclaim it, for it is the one hope for our world. And it is a hope the like of which you will find nowhere else. Let's pray together. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus has fled? We thank you, our Lord and God, for the gospel word which brings life. We thank you that hundreds of us, hundreds of us here, have experienced that life. We thank you that we will experience it in all its fullness one day as we too are raised up out of our grave to be with you for eternity. We pray that you would help us to see the world as you see the world, dead, like a valley of bones, not only dead but under your curse. And we pray as we see the world like that, we would be courageous in proclaiming your word as the only hope it has. And we ask these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.